Thanks, uh, Pian. I think we've, uh, we can really be very efficient here. I mean, with just the exercise, who needs to go to Pilates? You don't need to go to spinning class. And, and the money you save, then you can give from having to pay that. I mean, just, just really efficient in every way. It's uh, always a pleasure, PN and Super Choir, for you all to join us. Uh, glad to be in partnership with you, that, uh, that uh, we're honored that you um, meet here and uh, help us in terms of seeking to glorify our God together. So, thank you. And uh, a pleasure to work with you not only uh, here but in College Hill and throughout uh, the city and the county and throughout the area to be a, a witness to Christ. Um, uh, and you, but uh, I, I think it is a great um, also combination that now I'll move into my mode you know, and just go there. And uh, I, all right, good, you did, you did. I, I might stomp once or twice while I'm up here, though. I'm going to push my comfort zone a little bit. Uh, I think it's uh, also great timing for us that this Sunday we're in Luke 21 as we're walking through Luke, and this is the passage where Luke is uh, addressing Jesus' second coming, where Jesus is talking about that he's, he's about to leave, but a day will come when he comes again. And so our, our word for today is ready. You know, are we ready for that day? Are we ready for the day that he comes again to meet us face to face? Are we, we ready for that day with a heart of celebration and joy. I mean, in a sense, that's what we practice every time that we gather. That we're practicing the day that we'll see Him face to face. And it just so happens, it's probably in God's mind all along of planning that this was daylight savings time. day A perfect day to illustrate. You know, are you ready? And when folks come in here in about 40 minutes, you know, we'll just be sure to say, are you ready, brother or sister? And you can, then you can share with them what it means to be ready. Our passage is going to be in Luke chapter 21, starting with verse 29. It's found on page 857 in your pew Bible, or it'll be on the screen um, also. Let's pray. Gracious God, speak to us this morning. May your Holy Spirit indeed come upon us so that we might see what you see that we might hear what you hear and that we might be free to do what you would have us to do as representatives of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 21, starting with verse 29. Then he, Jesus, told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all, these, until all things have taken place. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Every day he was teaching in the temple, and at night he would go out and spend the night on the Mount of Olives, as it was called, and all the people would get up early in the morning to listen to him in the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whenever you you see Jesus asked a question about when and how he's going to come back, he rarely answers those questions. What we see in our passage today and what we see, uh, actually, if you still have your Bibles open, look at verse uh, 7, the whole chapter. The disciples are with him and they're saying, you know, when is this going to happen? What are the signs this is going to happen? And Jesus doesn't answer those questions. He turns to him and says, it doesn't matter when, where, how. What matters is, are you ready to receive me with joy? That's what he wants. That's what he wants us to be prepared for. So often we think about the Lord's coming and we think about it in fear and trembling. You know, like God's going to catch us doing something. I got news for you. Well, you're just saying that he knows our every thought. That's not a comforting thought for me, actually. I have a feeling it's probably not a comforting thought for many of you. It's not like Jesus is going to show up and catch us doing something that he didn't know we were already doing. What he desires is not to prepare us out of fear and trepidation for that day, but he desires us to be ready so that when he does return we will respond to Him with joy and a welcome embrace. I mean, we've been there, we've done that, maybe we've either given them or received them, or we've at least seen them, you know, at the airport. You know, you, you go away for, for a long time, and you're, at least your children miss you, at least when they're young. You know, and you, you come out of the gate, and what do they do? But when they see you, Mommy, and they run and embrace. Sometimes when they were really little, it would even happen just if I was gone for a day. I don't know what happened at home that day. But you come to the front door and you hear the pitter-patter of little feet and they just, Daddy. That's what Jesus is saying. Get ready for this day so that that's how you'll receive it. Not out of fear. Certainly not out of benign neglect or disdain or horror, but out of joy. That's what, be ready so that when He comes back, it'll be with joy that we meet our Lord face to face. I mean, this uh, was at Christmas. I think it was at school in Westchester, and and there were two boy twins in this first grade class, and a huge um, present in the middle of the room, and out popped Dad, who'd been in Iraq for over a year. And it was just a powerful picture of the boys and just their faces with shock and awe and wonder and then tears and they ran to dad and each one grabbing one side of him for it seemed like a minute just hugging him. That's the kind of day 
that Jesus wants His return to be for us. So that's what He wants to make us ready for so that when He returns, we return with joy. All right, now I want to take a quick, a quick look. This is just for the... Uh, you might just be humoring me, but i got a feeling some of you might want a little more detail. Well, just what does this mean about Jesus returning? What does that look like? Uh, what, what, is, what is that accomplishing? Well, if you'd like to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting with verse 13, we'll, we'll look at that in just a minute. Just what this means when we say Jesus will return. Because when He returns is when He brings to a close the end of the age. When He returns is that day of the resurrection. When the, the day of resurrection, when it's completed. That's what happens when He returns. He, he began the end of time when He came as a baby. He will complete the end of time when He comes back as the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is how the story ends when it comes to time and space and the creation of God. This is what we call the end times, or in fancy words, theological words, eschatology, the eschaton. What happens at the end? Which can be a cause of great fear. But what Jesus says, no, I want you to be prepared for this day when I bring an end to all of creation. Or actually, when I renew it. What Jesus will do will renew all of life that is in Him. He will make it all new again. New heaven, a new earth. He will renew heaven. He will renew earth. He will renew our bodies. We will have glorified bodies. Like Jesus had at His resurrection. You know, so, so Jesus was born, He began the end of time. His, his life lived out exactly what heaven is to be. What life is to be in perfect relationship for the Father. And then He died in our place. He lived the perfect life. And we who don't live the perfect life need Him to die for us. To be separated from the Father on our behalf. So that then we can become one with the Father. He takes our place. He dies for our sin and then on the third day is raised from the dead to demonstrate to all of creation, spiritual, earthly, and all the rest that sin and death do not win. That the power of God is greater even than sin. Whatever thought we have that horrify us the most when we think that God knows it, God is greater than that sin. Whatever action comes to our mind that we hope Jesus never sees, but He has seen, God is greater in His grace and mercy than that sin. He is greater even than death itself. So in the resurrection, Jesus accomplished Won the victory over sin and death. He hung out with his disciples a little bit longer because that's probably a little shock and awe. And we needed to be sure that this was real stuff. It really was Jesus. And then he ascended into heaven. And one day, we believe, he will return. And this is what is described, what Paul, the Apostle Paul is describing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. 
Now, you've got to believe, this is the, the beginning of the church, things in Thessalonica. They were a little messed up about exactly what the order is and who's going to be raised when and is there even really a resurrection? Do they get to participate in it? There were probably problems going on in Thessalonica where they thought the resurrection had happened and they missed it. So Paul is telling, no, you, you still have hope. Let me tell you how the order is going to work. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. So everyone, up until this point, who has died in Christ is with Jesus in the Spirit. Out of the body, but in the Spirit. They are not in their bodily form with Jesus. They are in a spiritual form with Jesus. Everyone who's died in Christ is with Jesus in spiritual form. And when Jesus returns, he will bring that part of the bride, Christ, with him. That part of the church that will come with him on his return. For this we declare to you, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. He's correcting their error. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So then is that great reunion of those who have died in Christ, their spirits with their bodies, and they have the resurrected body. And and, and they are with Jesus as he is bringing about the renewal of the heaven and the earth, the new heaven and new earth. He's he's bringing that about with those that have died in Christ. So it doesn't matter how their body was, you know, cremated, eaten by a shark. You know, you get all kinds of questions like that. It doesn't matter. Everybody that has died has gone back to dust and ashes. And and God and God's power, if He created everything out of nothing, then He's going to be able to put our little bodies back together in some form of glorified state and a renewed state that we will then join with Him in that new heaven and earth in, in eternal communion with Him and one another. Verse 17, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's what Jesus' return looks like. And so Jesus wants His disciples in that day to hear, this is how you're ready, so that when that day happens... You're, you're ready to rejoice with Jesus. You're ready to rejoice with me, Jesus would say. Verse 34 of our passage. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. Well, Jesus wants us to be ready for that day. And the way that we are ready is, one, we are not caught up in the things of this world that distract us or overwhelm us from Him. See, the way to to be ready for that day is to personally know the one who's returning. 
You know, that, that we are, are focused on Christ in knowing Him, in loving Him, in, in working in Him, in walking with Him. We're not distracted by the things of this world because walking with Him is very difficult. Living this life in this age can be extremely difficult that we can lose ourselves in what Jesus said or what the translators say, dissipation and drunkenness. In other words, being numb to the things of, the, of, of, of God. Just letting our addiction, whatever it might be, overwhelm us. Just giving up, giving in to whatever the addiction might be. To the things of this world. Instead of being attuned to Him. Or, or he says, being caught up in the worries of this life. Being so distracted by the things we think we have to do that we don't get to know Jesus we don't live in Jesus, that we're not in His Word, we're not in His prayers, we're not in prayer, we're not among His people. Because I've been in an airport with a a huge reunion. You know, when somebody was getting off the plane and they had balloons and cake and everybody was there, but I didn't participate because I didn't know the guy getting off the plane. I didn't know any of the people that were there. I just sort of meandered around it. What is key in being ready for Jesus' return is that we know Him and live for Him now so that when He comes back, we recognize Him and know Him and see Him as our Lord and Savior and fall at His feet, which is what we're doing every day. As those that are broken in this world. We refuse to give up and give in. We continue to to fight and struggle in this life living for Christ. And when He comes, what a release and joy that will be. Verse 36. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and stand before the Son of Man. Now, the whole chunk of the passage that I didn't read from verse 7 on through 28 is is Jesus telling the disciples at that day, at that time, the people that were in front of him, listen, you're going to have a hard time in these next several years. I'm going to the Father and you're going to have a really, really hard time. I mean, there will be people that will oppose you directly. There will be people that will threaten your life because you say that I was raised from the dead. You will be brought before some of the religious communities of the day because this is a new thing that God is doing in me that we are completing and some will oppose you directly. And they will threaten you with your very lives. Some of you will even lose your life. I mean, that's what Jesus was telling the disciples in that day. But So hold on though. Don't give in to the temptations and the opposition that will surround you. Even it'll get so bad, he says, that the the, the temple that he was in is going to be destroyed. And that happened in 70 AD. Rome government came through, just wiped the place out. It was horrific for anyone that was there. Jesus knew it was coming and he knew the temptation would be great to succumb to the powers around them and to disown Jesus. Now, in our day, 
That's not likely to happen. We're, we're not going to face such direct opposition and bodily harm. But I'm sure we all have stories of those around us and the pressures we face and feel for following Jesus today. For truly giving ourselves to Him and living our whole lives for Him. A lot of it could be indirect, just the, the peer pressure kind of thing, but some of it could be direct. And, and what a lot of the direct pressure would be, you know, Jesus is a nice guy and all, but do you really want to give your life to Him? You know, religion's a good thing. It's just a nice moral guideline for, to help you live a good life. And it's nice that a, a lot of nice, good people get together and we push one another's comfort zones and sing some songs. That's nice. That's good stuff. That's, that's really good. But do you really think Jesus is coming back? Isn't that for religious fanatics? Maybe one reason we don't talk about it so much. It really, really pushes our comfort zones. But yeah, I believe He's coming back. And I can't wait. I can't wait till he comes back. Then I'll get to see him face to face in the struggle and the fight and the, the pain of fighting my own addictions, of fighting the ways of the world and the injustice and the oppression that I don't know how to stop. will be over. He will make it all right. I can't wait for that day. So we get ready. We, we get ready for that day. Simply by walking with Him now. By continuing to know Him. To grow in Him. Encouraging one another. Helping one another. And refusing to succumb to the temptations and the powers and the pressures of the world that are around us. Four things that I want to bring home as we consider the second coming of Jesus. And, and, and being ready to receive it with joy. One, that's, that's what the church is about. That's what we, we gather to do. We, we gather to help one another know Jesus. To walk with Him. To encourage one another. In the midst of the, the persecution and the struggle and the pain that it is to, of, of following Him. Sometimes in this world, we, we are here to encourage and support one another. And one of the things that uh, we're going to do to continue that process, in the, the fall, we're going to add an hour. We're not going to add an hour. That's, uh, unless God might want to add an hour. We're not going to. No daylight savings time. In that hour between the first and second service, we're going to add, uh, we're going to make that time one of uh, adult Christian formation transformation, of Bible study and prayer time, of, of times of, of sharing our lives with one another, to really focus on recognizing Jesus together and helping one another to recognize Him. We need that time. We recognize that, we call it a foundational hour, because as we seek to be a church without walls and all that that means, we need to be sure we don't have any walls that the foundation is solid. Second, you might have some questions. 
might ask some questions, you know, what about this end times and the last times, and maybe you've read Revelation and you're like, what does this mean about the end times? Yeah, I encourage you to ask them. Write them down. You can email me. Or, I've been wanting to do this, you can text. Go ahead. The preacher said you can get out your phone and text. Some of you are doing it already. Now, here's what you can do. Uh, you can email me, dsmith at chpc.org, easy enough. You write out a question, drop it in the plate, it'll get to me. Or you can text to this number, right? right? You want to text your question or your thought, 99503. Just text to that number. And uh, don't, don't stop writing. And then when you text, make these five numbers, the first numbers of your text, and then write whatever you want. 29285. Okay, so you want to text to this number, 99503. And then the first five numbers of the text are 29285. Just what your questions, what it brings up when we talk about the end times. Third, like the disciples, maybe you really still want to know well, what are the signs? It really would be nice to be, nice to know when this is going to happen. Well, it's actually in, in our text. Verse 32 says, Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. What Jesus is telling the disciples that are right there in front of him, that the generation before him will not pass away till all these things have happened. So all the signs have been fulfilled. There is nothing else that needs to happen except for the will of God for Jesus to return. I mean, the destruction of Jerusalem happened that He foretold. Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit has come upon us and is within us. There are no other signs that need to happen. Nothing else that we're waiting to happen before Jesus returns. It can happen then. When will it happen? At any time. The signs have been fulfilled because that generation is no longer with us. All right, then the fourth, the the last thing then, invite you in the atrium, invite you after lunch, lunch today, make this your discussion question. What do you think about the end times? What is, what's your guttural reaction? What's your guttural response? You know, what, what, what happens within you when you think about, what do you feel when you consider Jesus returning? Make, make that the discussion in the atrium along the way. What are the, the questions that bubble up within you around that? At lunch today, before you start talking about March Madness, Talk about the joy of Jesus' return. And may we then as a community, may we as a people, continue to get ready for that day by getting to know Jesus so that when we see Him face to face, our our natural response will simply be to fall at His feet, to embrace Him with a love and a joy that is unimaginable. Amen.